0: Hello and welcome to the Long Talk here on New Zealand Sports Radio. And we're in for, or I'm in for a treat today because I'm going to, to talk about one of the sports that I really enjoy that I don't normally talk about often, which is cycling. Um, because today I've got um, Scott Guyton, ex-professional cyclist and now general manager of Blackspoke Pro Cycling Academy um, to join me. Um, how are you doing, sir? Yeah,
2: we're well, good actually. Yeah, it's good to be back into normal life again and uh yeah just getting back into routine slowly so that's pretty good slowly
0: but surely yeah i'm having yeah i mean having, yeah, having all the protocols and things in your business which i which we'll get onto in a second but so how does a young boy in new zealand get into or what, what, what actually let's let's before then. what was your first sporting experience that's why I kind of generally start these things or memory, uh, sporting experience within cycling, no, no, just, just generally. Your, your your first sporting memory is it getting up in the middle of the night watching the All Blacks with your dad? Is it running out on? The, uh, is it uh, yeah running out playing touch or what? What is it? What was it?
2: Uh, definitely be be rugby and getting up during you know during the middle of the night watching one of the World Cups when I was a young fella. Um, either that or the league. You know that was um, probably two sports that I followed when I was very young.
0: Um, yeah, definitely. So how did, so, so someone who's into his rugby sounds like a pretty, a very, very similar sort of sporting upbringing as, as, as a lot of, uh, a lot of kids here in New Zealand, how did you get into cycling?
2: Uh, my father was a cyclist that, that, uh, that sort of inspired me. I, I watched it for many years, so I knew quite a lot about cycling before I even got into it. Um, and yeah, I was pretty much just waiting to get on a bike and, and race and, I was pretty much held back for quite a few years, and when I did get on, I really enjoyed it and sort of knew quite a bit about it already by the time I actually started racing, which I think helps a lot. And um, yeah, just progressed from there.
0: Uh, so you, you, so was your dad a professional cyclist, or just, or just, or an amateur? Uh, just enjoyed. He it? was
2: a national cyclist. He did quite a, a bit of racing, but he he raced his whole life as well. So he started when he was 11, and and he's still riding a bike today. So he's 73, I think. So he's still young. So. a lot of experience there and and um you know that was definitely um the way that's what led me into the sport itself.
0: and so early on you said you were held back was that um was that because just didn't want you to uh
2: yeah thought
0: you wanted to get 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 school under your belt that kind of thing
2: i think i've been at bike races since i was five years old so um yeah i wasn't allowed to race since i was 11 so it was a long long wait (laughs) And watching other kids race, and when I wasn't be able to you know, that was the rule. That, you know, I suppose a lot of kids aren't really um, safe on the roads these days, probably before the age of 10. So that was, was probably one of the limiting factors of riding a bike
0: or and a road bike. The, uh, oh, yeah, so yeah, and I get, yeah, we are talking road cycling here on the whole. Uh, yeah, sorry, yeah, 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 road, road cycling. cycling. Sorry? Yeah,
2: there was a bit of BMX and things before that. So yeah, that was definitely. <laughs> But yeah, speaking purely of road
0: cycling. Yeah. Uh, so, so you, have you tried mountain biking?
2: Uh, yeah, back in the day, I had a bit of fun with that, but nothing, nothing too serious. Just uh, national level.
0: Yeah. Sorry. Nothing too serious, just national level. And I just wrecked. That's all. Nothing, nothing, nothing too serious. Um, but the, uh, uh, um, the, so, so when, so when, did you, so I guess when, when did you start? Um, sort of racing at national level. I mean, did you, Was it straight from 11, 11 years old? You were. In, in the age grades at national level and and doing well. Yeah, cycling
2: yeah. like back there was quite a lot smaller and uh, yeah, it was, it was club level. Uh, we did um, sort of uh, Waikato Championships, New Zealand Championships, um, and yeah, pretty much uh, a lot of opens. Uh, handicap opens was the main form of racing back in those days, uh, and yeah, just progressed from there year by year by year.
0: And. One of the big when I listen to cycling, one of the big differences between cyclists who sort of come from the states across to Europe is the is, is the wide open roads in the states, whereas in Europe it's lots of tiny twisty roads. What kind of what, what's the kind of style of cycling here in New Zealand? Do you get a lot of race craft the peloton craft here, or, or or are the roads not not uh, not conducive to that?
2: In yeah, New Zealand, like racing in New Zealand, especially the bigger races, is uh, you know you you generally see you know, 90% of the time, a Kiwi will win win racing here in New Zealand. Even if there are some big talents come out, um, the roads here are very, very difficult. They're hard, they're, they're slower than than overseas, um, and generally very undulating terrain, which which um, yeah doesn't always suit the foreign guys. And and especially local knowledge, I think, is a big um, yeah big assistance to most of the guys here who, who generally end up winning.
0: So is that, I mean, one of the, so one of the things that's wet in the Belgian classics, for example, is that knowing which corners you have to be or, or which they have to be at the front because it's going to narrow down and everyone. And if you're too far back, you can never catch up again. You about that kind of local knowledge, or are you talking about, or, or is it yeah. about the roads? Yeah, the,
2: that, that and like knowing your local competition. Knowing, yeah, it, you know, not so crucial as as Belgium or or some of the, the tighter classic races where I think it takes years to, to learn those roads because there are you know there are a lot of corners and a lot of narrow, very tight um, uh, roads there, and, and the conditions generally are very very um, tough as well. Um, but yeah, that, that's probably a different style again. It's just more um, winds and uh, competition, and, and yeah, just the terrain. here is it's it's very unforgiving. You can feel good earlier on, but it slowly does zap you here in New Zealand without knowing it. And, uh, by the end of the race, you find a lot of the foreign guys have done done probably too much too much work and and uh, not a lot left at the end. there.
0: Yeah, so for a lot of people who um, might not know cycling, yeah, conservation of energy is is a big thing during a race. So things like staying out in the wind, not being on the front too often, um, can be c- can actually pay a, pay a lot of dividends towards the end of a race. And so yes, yeah, so what we're saying is knowing who you can let go off the fronts and who you can bring back and who you can't let go off the front is is a key thing as well as to yeah don't chase down every every attack and know, know who the competition is is a big thing here in New Zealand that's interesting um, so when so uh, looking at um, on, on Wikipedia which obviously is the bible to everything and is absolutely true um, your first you, you went pro what in uh, in sort of 97-ish is that right?
2: Uh, yeah yeah that would be about right
0: with okay. I, I, um, Ipso Euroclean
2: yeah game? it was a it was a Belgium uh, Division 2 team um there was a lot of lot of teams back then, and uh, there was a lot more racing as well. I found, um, yeah, there was very, you know, pretty much racing, pro racing, at least three or four times a week. Uh, you could race in, in, uh, in, in Belgium anyway, let alone other countries over there. So it was very, very popular, and, and there was a lot of riders and a lot of a lot of races back then.
0: Okay, so I, I, I'll be honest. I, th- I thought we we're going to be talking um, New Zealand first. Club got here. Your first major result is ninety eight. You're winning the Tour of Southland. Um, which obviously, which is a, a a Kiwi race. How did you, how, how did that move overseas to Belgium happen?
2: Uh, actually, a few years earlier, in the Tour of Southland, um, one of the Belgium uh, national riders is, he come across, and uh, we just happened to be in the peloton racing, and he had a, I think he had a pothole or a bit of wood, and um, kind of got a bit angry on that, and I ended up talking to him afterwards, and uh, yeah, we just. Got talking from there, and he, he invited me over to, to Belgium the following season and, and offered me a bit, and, uh, yeah, just progressed from there. It was, it's definitely, um, you know, if you can get over there in, at a young age with, with support in a country like that, it's um, definitely easier to kick off.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, so, one of the things that cycling doesn't have is doesn't have – the top teams don't have, like, academies or – I mean, there, there's some some have a, have a feeder team to a certain degree, but it's not like in, say, football where you can sign up at 16 and get looked after all the way through to your pro career. Uh, you basically have to find your own way a bit. Um, yeah, you, it's, the,
2: the it's getting a little little better now. I think back in the day, there was definitely no support. and uh, Probably up until sort of three three years ago, um, I think, you know, uh, Patrick Levin and, and George Bennett, writers like this, have curated a bit of a, um, a leeway or a, a road to Europe for a lot of the guys here, and um, and we've got a lot of younger riders now signing up in development squads in, in Europe um, and getting picked up in in their smaller teams. You know, most of your World Tour teams they have a, a, a Division Three team or just a, a club team that will that will be looking and scouting for talent. And um, I, I know it, there's a handful of young Kiwis now that are already signed for those. For those um, teams and they, they you know they're, they're just trying to reserve first right for those riders in the future if they become a little stronger and that means that these teams are actually watching kiwis now which is a really good thing
0: um because you say back in the day it, it's you you had to sort of make your own way over there when you get over there to that team um do they provide you with obviously someone gave you a bed which was nice but i'm guessing you're paying you're paying paying, paying, um, paying board. Did they give you bikes, or did you have to fund your own bike and all that kind of stuff? How how much support did you get in those early days? Um, I think
2: it's just uh, depending on the level of the team. Um, you know, a lot of guys will go leave here and sign up for an amateur, small amateur club, and uh, you know the deals. They they do look after you to a degree. Um, you end up with probably a, a billet family or someone looking after you on those sides. You may have to you may have to pay for a bike. You may not, just depending on the team. Uh, once you sort of step into any of the pro ranks and you you either get provided a, a small small wage or um, your equipment is provided and then as you step up those those teams into Division 2 Division 1 teams you, you get looked after a lot better again so it just show your results and generally you, you do get looked after a lot better
0: but in those early days you say you're, you're racing what three times a week um, probably in criteriums where and the high finishers get you prize money and that's kind of how you feed yourself to a certain degree.
2: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, like prize money, especially in the amateur events, is, becomes quite crucial. You're over there with no job and uh, you do get hungry for chasing prize money and it is a good good motivator to get you, get you to the race <laughs> to get a result. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so how long did it take you to, as you weren't in sort of a high-performance pathway with support of coach, uh, well, with support of sort of national coaches and I guess... Um, uh, nutritionalists and all this kind of thing. How long did it take you to learn what it really, what, what was required as a as a professional and as could how to look after your body, when to actually, uh, uh, and, and that kind of thing.
2: Um, I think that, that, that the is probably something everyone is still learning today. That that is always evolving and changing. I think back in the day, it probably took me leaving New Zealand and living at home to you know looking after yourself and then. And then getting more information fed to you over the years. It was probably three to four years before I actually really knew what I was doing as a as a cyclist and having to race so much and, and recover and and um, just look after your body. I think that's the biggest thing you learn with a little bit of, a little bit more age, um, because it is a tough sport and the the endurance side of it is very. You know, very wearing on your body and, and does catch up with you and it does catch up with a lot of cyclists in general it's um, it's an endurance sport and, and a lot of young guys so they just got to be managed very carefully on how much endurance they're actually doing
0: I've heard some cyclists get to the level that obviously you, you're running on the edge the whole time so you're susceptible to getting sick and they'll do things like press lift buttons with their elbow automatically and things like that to stop touching things did you ever get to that kind of level of um, of, of of, of, of trying to look after your body and avoid getting ill and things?
2: Yeah, I think illness and yeah, anything you could do to stay healthy was the key. You know, once you're sick, you're, you're good for nothing, really. you you you're, you're got no hope of racing well or even getting to the races half the time. Uh, and it is a big part of professional sport in general is, is maintaining health. You can maintain health. You can generally um, maintain some sort of condition and, um, and form, yeah.
0: So um, you had the that, 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 uh, the Belgian team. You then joined uh, Linda McCartney for Linda McCartney's team for for a season. Uh, famously a a vegetarian uh, a team. How did you? Are you vegetarian, or, or was that was that a shock to the system?
2: No, that was a bit of a. We did we did turn vegetarian for the season. Uh, it was a bit of a shock to start with, but it's like anything. You you learn how to eat properly, and you did get used to it. Um, yeah, it was definitely an eye opener, and it was a really good, solid team. Um, It was a UK-based team, so we did do a bit of, um, obviously, travel of Europe and, um, yeah, one part we actually got to meet Paul McCartney as well, which is probably a bit of a highlight for the season. He he invited us to his house and, um, yeah, had the whole team there and played a few tunes for the boys and, yeah, it was a pretty pretty cool experience that I'm still remember today.
0: Did did you get to sing with him?
2: Uh, No, no. To be honest, it wasn't until the moment he uh, <laughs> he actually started playing the, the instruments and piano and things, you actually realised who you were talking to, and yeah, he's very talented. And, yeah. and when he when he uh, did that, yeah, it was pretty impressive.
0: Um, but it seems like you spent most of your time in Dutch teams. Uh, you say, uh, I suppose Euroclean was one. Uh, Flanders, three um, prefects. I mean, Flanders the the name gives it kind of away. A, a um, yeah, uh, and then. Um, Wilsmanak cycling team. I'm guessing was also a a, a Belgian team. Uh,
2: no, I sort of stayed stayed with um uh, yeah started with Epso Flanders and and then went on to um Linda McCartney then then went on to a team called Team Nova which was an Australian based team. Oh, okay, Sorry. it was before like days. Uh, then uh, that was a a team of Australians um, mainly, and we had. Ended up with half the team being uh, Flemish, belgium riders.
0: Oh, so, so, an Australian team, but racing in Europe still.
2: Yeah, correct. Yeah, um, and that was a it was a crowdfunded team, so it was effectively funded by the Australian public. And um, yeah, it went really well, but eventually our funding uh, the subscriptions run out, and uh, <laughs> it finished the team. So there was there was a few sponsors on there that were doing a great job, but uh, yeah, cycling's a real uh, I suppose overall, very expensive sport and, and does take a lot of maintenance to keep going. Um, yeah, then after that, sort of re- semi retired and went to a, it was, wish for my luck, was actually a, an Asian based team uh, based out of Indonesia. And we I just uh, did a couple of um, races for those guys in my final year just to give them a little bit of experience and help uh, before I retired. So.
0: so I think things like the Tour of Langkawi, that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, we did to Kawi to Shanghai Lake, did some decent racing. Um, and they, were, they had a good little team and they had some great riders. But uh, yeah, it was, it was probably just a lack of experience coming from Asia, especially back then. There wasn't as much racing or as many riders in Asia. But I think today is definitely a different scene. Asia is becoming a lot stronger within the cycling world. The uh,
0: cause I mean, yeah, In, in Toilang Kawi, you'll get the old world tour kind of. Um... Racer in there and stuff. So yeah, it, it is a it, it is a de, it is a very good level of, of cycling yeah, um, uh, out there. So I see here we've, we've we've got second in the time national time trials championships. Um, the yeah, obviously we won the the, the the Tour of South. And what would you say was your was your highlights or your, your best memory from from cycling? Was it actually a win or was it something else?
2: Um, oh, there's a, definitely a lot of memories over the years. Uh, In the final stage of the Sun Tour one year, and uh, took third overall. It was probably it was a nice result, especially towards the end of my uh, career. Earlier in my career, I won my first pro race in my in my first season, which was um, pretty unusual for any any um, well neo pro. Uh, But yeah, there's been been a lot of great great memories, and not just based on wins, it's just uh, experiences and uh, the people we meet along the way is pretty impressive and the knowledge it gives you in life is, is is awesome you know it does teach you a lot and gives you a lot of well well it gives you well well-rounded and um you know you do do learn a lot from the sport which you can take on to later on in life as well which
0: is quite good so i was talking to some beach volleyball players uh and they were saying that one of their sort of stories of being in europe was they learned that uh, a tournament had had a couple of people drop out so they, they literally drove overnight. Um, from like I think it was Germany down to uh, down to Greece or something um, for a uh, uh, for, for for a tournament um, and turned up. Any kind of wild stories like that during your, um, where, where sort of at the last minute you've had to drive somewhere or you've had big breakdown, a breakdown had to deal with it or or some funny media experience.
2: Oh, there's a lot. You know, there's there's a lot to go wrong when you're on the road with uh, you know ten riders, twenty bikes and trucks and cars and. And you know weather. There's a lot, lot, a lot of, lot of, um, a lot of travel. Um, yeah, you can be travelling up to 15 hours before a race and getting getting there, and then doing a five day tour, say in Poland, and then driving back the next day. You know. um, yeah, we did. Yeah, driving was just part of the job. You know, you had to learn to deal with it. And, uh, you know, it wasn't always the easiest as well. You know, sitting in there for. That, that amount of time everything starts to seize up and then sometimes you were getting up the same day and actually racing um, running late for sometimes you know held up in traffic and and getting changed in the cars everything everything on shoes how much the only thing you're waiting on is your numbers that that, that can happen at times so yeah there's definitely um, yeah uh, i could say there's been a lot of experiences <laughs> with with uh, traveling and, and sport
0: yeah. as you say yeah getting changing cars there it's not all like the world tours where they've got um, uh, well, at least one uh, coach with with showers and massage beds in them. Um, it's, it's it's very different. The next level down, isn't it? But uh, yeah, yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, there's a um, big big drop off once you yeah once you're in pro tour. I think you do get looked after very well, and even even amongst the pro tour teams, you'll see the level is, you know from the big teams, say Sky, through to the small pro tour teams. There's a massive difference in budget and and um, support amongst the teams. Uh, it drops down into what we call the the Pro, to, uh, pro Conti, uh, which is level two in cycling, and then uh, that's still a professional team, and they do get looked after very well. But some of the Pro Tour boys do get, you know, they do get everything handed to them, and uh, mentally that does give a big advantage to the bigger riders as well, knowing that they have that sort of edge going into the race.
0: It also means that you, I mean, there's famously... The reason that steve jobs wore the same clothes every day was that he he believes you only have so many choices that you can make a day um decisions you can make a day sorry uh, and so he removed one decision which was what he wore what he would wear yeah. so that he had a spare decision later in the day um a bit like so if you don't have to worry about is my kit clean is my bike ready um where do i have to go that's choice that's decisions you don't have to make so when you when you do have to make critical decisions you've got more in the bank to make that decision um as well that also that, that's also a theory as well as to, hence why, some some uh, hence why they put that support around those, those cyclists or all or, or athletes really. Yeah, no, um, definitely. So, after cycling, you've, you've, you, obviously, you obviously you've stayed in cycling. But how did you stay? Did you? Uh, I think you mentioned you have a bike shop. Is that? Did you immediately go into that?
2: Uh yeah, pretty much. Um, my my wife Vanessa, she she was with me the whole time in Europe. Um, she was racing for a Belgian. Uh, professional teams, Flanders women's pro team. Uh, she eventually um, had a crash actually and that finished her the cycling season more so, she was over it more so than injured and she started a, a website back back in the day which I think was around the 2005 or 2003 and uh, she started it, it was called Kiwi Bello. Um, from there that just progressed. We were an online only company. And um, we we then moved into servicing a few local people in Auckland. Uh, we got involved with the school cycling um, and that that sort of gave us the, the retail side of our business. And we ended up focusing more on retail over the years than we did on, on our online. Um, and now we're sort of managing both within the company.
0: So shout out for what, what, what is your website and what's your, what's your bike shop called?
2: Uh, it's kiwivalo. It's kiwivalo.co.nz. It's um, yeah, just a, a retail store based in Takapuna, and yeah, it's been. I think we're just on 15 years now, so we've been around for quite a long time. So,
0: yeah. so, So what's um, so what what, what drove you to uh, set up um, Black Spoke, um Pro Cycling Academy?
2: Uh, Black Spoke was it's um, come about uh, a lot of passion has driven the project and a um, few. Friends um, uh, come to me a bit earlier last year and, and said, "Hey, we, could, um, we might have an opportunity in starting a pro team. Is, is, is this something you want to be involved in?" And um, yeah, it's just progressed from there. Um, uh, a man by the name of Tim Henshaw, who, who's a businessman in town and he's quite successful, has come to me with, a, with one of his um, associates and. Uh, the owner of the team is now Murray Bolton. Uh, he's he's retired, successful businessman here in, in uh, Auckland, and uh, he just wanted to throw a little bit back into not so much just cycling, but into any youth in sport. and sport. And he's got a real passion for for cycling and obviously other sports as well. So, um, yeah, so it's just really progressed from there. Uh, it, it was a it was a project that had to a little bit be, I suppose, rushed in a way. We had to get get the team off the ground in a matter of months. and uh, So we've just started what we call a, a continental team, uh, which is, in, in the cycling world, there's pro to um, pro-conti and then continental. So we're racing that third level. Um, and the purpose and the focus of the team was to focus on helping a lot of our younger athletes try to make it to the next step of um, cycling. Uh, we found that there was a bit of a hole in that market. Uh, the hole under, you know, once you leave school right through those under 23 years, there wasn't a lot of support for Kiwi. So we really, we have really focused to try and get a few more of those riders through to international racing.
0: So in, in Europe, there is another 23 scene. Is 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 there another 23 scene here in uh, in New Zealand as well? Or is it straight into sort of the adult? Or,
2: or... Yeah. Once you're, under, once you're out of junior or under 19, you, you do step into under 23, which is, is a category but that category is mixed in with, with elite men. So, yeah, there's no hiding. You're in there. You do get results within your category but you are competing with um, with the, the elites. Um, I think it was two years ago at the Nationals, James Fouchet, he, he won the under 23 title but he also took out the elite men title as well by winning the race. So, uh, yeah, you definitely got some great young talent there.
0: Yeah, but yeah, uh, sorry, yeah. But in Europe, they have specific. I mean, um, I've gone blank. I've big. big yeah, races, but... uh, yeah, the names,
2: races. I apologise. Yeah, the at the world champs there is a separate category yeah. for under twenty three. Um, but yeah, once again, once they're in most of those races, they are racing together um, as well. So yeah, Tour de France, you'll see. You know, there's yeah. under 23s three's are winning the world at the moment, winning the Tour de France as well, which is.
0: Oh, but they, yeah, yeah, they they've, they've deliberately stepped up to the. Um, to, to the pro ranks, but there are yeah, there, is, there is, there are 20, under 23 races as well. Uh, Correct. Yeah. In exactly. New Zealand here, I guess there's, it's a smaller market. There's fewer people with fewer races. So hence there, all, all of the under 23 races are mixed up with, with, the, with the pro, with the, uh, with the elite men as well.
2: Yeah. So yeah, mixed up, uh, we're mixed here in New Zealand. There are a few separate races in Europe that just have under
0: 23 category. Uh, that, um, that, the, uh, baby duro and things like that. Um, Great. The, so yes, yeah, so looking at your squad, as you say, um, you've got Aaron Gates in there, who's twenty-nine, um, to add a bit of experience, a bit of leadership. But most of them are most the riders in the in kind of the eighteen to sort of twenty-three age range, age range. So it's very much looking at helping them as a stepping stone to to a, to a pro conti team. Or you're looking at maybe growing this into a pro county team at some point? Um, at the moment,
2: we're still focused on developing riders. We we thought by having a few so-called older boys in the team. Um, You know, is some great experience to to hand down to our younger guys. So, um, yeah, the likes of Aaron Aaron Gates and James Oram, they've been a a great sort of role model for a few of these sort of eighteen, nineteen-year-olds that have come into the team. Uh, And yeah, the future is yeah, who knows? You know, we've obviously got big ideas and big plans, but at the moment, the the main role and the the big objective still is to support Kiwis to try and give them a bit of a pathway through to, through to the pro peloton in Europe and keep so them does, with them.
0: So does that mean you'll be racing here and then sending them over there, or have you taken this team to race in Europe as well?
2: Yeah, we were planning on being in Europe right this stage, actually. This was pretty much the, the second half of this, the season we were, we were going to set up and, and run a, a small program in Europe with the team. Um, obviously, plans have changed a little bit at the moment with um, COVID, yeah. and no trouble, but... Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say the plan is just going to continue. Once things get back to normal, we'll be, we'll be focused on getting back to that plan for next season.
0: Okay, so so you race over here during the sort of um, uh, the, what, the sort of uh, well our summer, and then move up during kind of March Aprilish up into Europe, and then uh, to do the season up there as well as well. Is, is kind of the idea?
2: Yeah, yeah. Once the weather sort of gets better and yeah. sort of. April, but um, yeah, we were a little, we were going to go a bit later than that because we did a couple of races in Asia before we, um, yeah, the first part of the season we did New Zealand and Asia, and then the, the second part of this this season was going to be in Europe. Uh, yeah, we'll see how we go for next year, but um, just sort of things are a little bit up in the air at the moment, just as far as when and when we can't travel or when, when we can actually get back in traveling, but that's just, uh, I think that's just how it is, and you know, we're not the only team affected or and, you know, only person affected through this.
0: So, um, have you had the boys on Zwift doing Zwift races? Or have you kind of let them um, be a bit more yeah. relaxed with them? They're
2: all, they're all on there. They, they are loving the,
0: the trainer, but in
2: uh, saying that, the weather's been so so good. I know it's raining today, but the weather's been amazing here in New Zealand and that's um, allowed them to carry on training outdoors. And, um, but, yeah, I dare say, as it goes on, we're going to be spending a lot more time on, on these Trainers, just to uh, miss a bit of the New Zealand winter, that's
0: for sure. So have you been actually? Because uh, a lot of the motor racing guys have have actually uh, competing in proper e-sports e- e- motor racing. Have you taken? Have you, have you been trying to race as a team um, on, on, on on Zwift in in sort of e-races or in online races, or have you just, uh, or have you sort of not been racing at all during this lockdown?
2: Uh, no, you know the boys get on there. There are races on Zwift. Nothing. Nothing formalised as a team. Um, there are a few Swift uh, tours and things coming up, so we'll be looking into doing those if we can't get back to real racing. Um, I know you know, racing on the road and racing in a peloton and corners and everything versus sitting on a trainer and effectively uh, in your bedroom smashing yourself is, is definitely not what the guys want to be doing, but they will do it to you know, buy some time and keep keep the fitness up in the meantime. But... Uh, yeah, it's something that we'll probably be focusing on a lot more now. The weather is closing in on us a bit.
0: Um, I've heard that some... Uh, so I, I listened to uh, a podcast called Cycling Podcast, and uh, they had, I think it was Mitch Docker on there, and he was saying how basically he's been buying pretty much industrial fans because one of the differences between cycling outdoors and cycling on a trainer is, is body heat. Um, uh, I've, I've heard him say, yeah. So will you be uh, fitting out all your cyclists with sort of a, a, a fan... A bank of fans to keep them all cool while they're actually yeah, rotating. Right, right, it does. Right, right,
2: right. It actually, actually is more important than it sounds. Yeah, it's um, you can get very, very hot on these these machines with no no wind around you, and no outdoors, I suppose. So yeah, you got to keep keep that fan on you the whole time. It's um, something that makes it a lot more or a lot less stress on your body, I suppose, during the during the sort of harder periods, at least, anyway. And I
0: mean, Matt Heyman, I think it was, was uh, famously uh, sort of had an injury. Trained indoors on, on on these things, and then went on to win the um, uh, Paris Roubaix, I think it was, wasn't it? Um, before that, after a couple of weeks, just being on the road, um, do you see that some of these cyclists are actually going to some of them might actually come out of this with sort of being better, better, better perform, better, um, uh, re- or come out better, ready to race, rather than uh, others who perhaps don't have the discipline might come out a bit overweight. Yeah
2: hopefully not overweight, but um, yeah, it's it's a hard one, like, uh, you know, a lot of riders, it depends, a lot of, you know, we've got riders that have been racing really, really hard, and maybe this break will actually help them, give them a bit of a break, and they can get into some real structured training, and and then it might actually help them coming out, and other guys may, may not have had enough racing going into this, and being a bit underdone, and yeah, this probably wouldn't help them at all, you know, so just really depends on the individual, where
0: they're at. <laughs> uh, what are we seeing on the New Zealand scene? Obviously, we're expecting an announcement. For those who don't know, uh, this is on the uh, 26, 25th of May. So we're expecting an announcement today from the government about the numbers. Obviously, at the moment, <clears throat> we're only now 10 people um, together. Um, but what if, are there, are, are, obviously, with, without the travel arrangements and obviously with all those races not available for, for, for people to go overseas to go race, is New Zealand Cycling looking at putting together a bunch of extra races here in New Zealand for... Um, once the uh, numbers go up or what's or what's happening in the scene?
2: Yeah, I think that is on the cards and I suppose, yeah, it is it's, it is quite uh, um, I suppose to put racing on in a short period of time is, is probably the difficult one. Um, the team, uh, team of sales is actually offering to assist into a race calendar uh, for local guys um, and local athletes that are stuck here. Um, but yeah, it it does take a a large amount of work and and, uh, it is through a winter period as well. Um, So, yeah, just just depending on the restrictions and and, um, what um, the government lets us do, we may be able to put racing on. It might be the the crowds that would be more the issue rather than the actual group of cyclists that come together. Um, So, yeah, it just really depends, really. I think that's the big unknown right at this moment.
0: Yeah, as you say, people being trapped here. Uh, there's, there's potential for people like uh, various um, triathletes who might might fancy having a go um, uh, to who, who obviously cycle, swim, and run. Uh, but if those events aren't available for them, then why not um, get involved in some cycling? Uh, I know yeah. that uh, Team Ineos have taken on triathletes um, recently in one of the, for their team as, um, as, as, as as something new. So yes, yeah, so there's all sorts of people that you might find that you wouldn't wouldn't normally see on the cycling scene here that could be here for these for those kind of events as well
2: yeah correct um yeah that's it'd be great to see all those people come together and once again there's some there's some real talent here in New Zealand right at this moment Uh, and it would be nice if we could have some racing that could get those you know top European New Zealand riders that are stuck here in New Zealand racing with a with a few of our younger guys and um, that I think with spectators as well, it would definitely promote and help the sport in a big way.
0: So a uh, t- tour of the Bay of South Island three times because it's the, what, it's the warmest part of the country. Um, yeah. the, um, so races up there. I don't know. i uh, would so, yeah, be interested to see what happens over the next few days. Um, well, one of the issues with cycling teams is that you don't have a venue, you can't sell tickets um, you don't gain that much through you don't sort of get paid to turn up to races. So funding is uh, is is uh, yeah can be very precarious for teams. That it's all on sponsorship. Um, how sort of stable are or what kind of outlook are you looking at for spoke Pro Cycling? It sounds like you've got some private investors who are doing it for uh, on a more philanthropic philanthropic reason than than exposure. So. Is that, has, mm. given, has that given you some sort of some years to be able to plan this?
2: Yeah, we've got well, we've got at least a three-year plan in place at the moment. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's definitely difficult. Um, I think any sponsorship within sport is, is hard. Uh, and just, yeah, as you said, not having a stadium where we can sell ticket sales or anything like that. And cycling, it's, you know, if you, you go to Tour de France, there's, there's you know, millions of people on the side of the road and uh, throughout the throughout the three-week race and, and the, the exposure is massive worldwide. Um, but actually capturing that and getting that money back to the, the pro teams has, has always been the, the hardest challenge, I think. Um, the race events and the, the UCI have tied up a lot of the capital of um, any sort of money that's come through and the sponsors themselves are only relying on the advertising that they can get by putting their, their teams... Out there on TV, um, but after that race is finished, there is very little income uh, coming in, and that's something that's um, I think, definitely, in our sport needs to change. I don't know how that's going to happen, but um, to secure the future of the sport, it definitely needs needs to change. Otherwise, it yeah, it just it just makes it too hard for the sponsors to survive long term. Uh,
0: and it's and so if you if you're new to watching a cycle race, one of the reasons people might attack early. Is because it means they get uh, exposure of their jersey on the camera for longer. Um, so, so not not all moves in the cycle race are necessarily to try and win a race. Sometimes it is purely for sponsor exposure as well. Um,
2: which is yeah, interesting. One sometimes sometimes those moves pay off as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, sometimes it do. You don't. never know. <laughs> um, I noticed here that one of the uh, events that you've, you've entered with Blackspoke is is um, gravel and tar. Was that a gravel race, or is that, or was that, is that a road race that just happens to have some? Um,
2: yeah, it's kind of a. It's it's a very new race. Um, it's it's a UCI race now, which is really good for New Zealand. Um, the boys that race, it all seem to love it. It's it's quite difficult. Um, it, it's it's probably a fifty fifty mix of gravel and and um, tar the whole way through. So, it's um, yeah, it's. Big in America, this is the biggest growing category over there, and that's gravel racing is becoming a thing. And, and within the bike industry, there's, there's a lot of work to, to cater for that as well. So it's um, something that's definitely um, getting bigger. Uh, you know, In Europe, we have, uh, say, Paris-Roubaix, which has always been the cobbles, and now it seems to be extending to, to gravel in other countries. So, um, yeah, it's quite interesting to see it develop.
0: And you've got the... Um oh i gone blank the italian race that's, uh, that's that's done on the dust roads um uh,
2: uh, bianchi, uh bianchi yeah,
0: yeah. Bianchi. Um, yes. which uh, yeah. uh which is done on dust roads but they're still considered road races now um and they have still have the same all the same rules around kind of the team sizes and uh, a lot of the tactics around sort of, yeah, you're all racing you've already got team racing for one person to try and win for gravel racing is, is it um is it still team based is it's kind of similar length races or or um or is it more like cyclocross which is a, a shorter race and it's individuals racing against each other
2: uh yeah no cyclocross is definitely a different category it's almost it's got its own little thing going on um mountain biking the same it's uh yeah gravel is more like yeah, races like Paris bay i suppose even Gravel and tire. Here, they are still road races, and they are very tactical with teams that, that turn up. Um, I think gravel gravel racing in in America has become more of um, you know a slightly different event again, and it's the the event the, the category that it is growing is, is uh, more endurance, more off road, um, and yes, yeah, it's, as it's, it is quite quite tough racing. Um, more there are teams that are entering, but it's a lot more individual. Um, and then some of these these gravel races get up to 320k, so they're they're real real endurance events with a massive following of um, spectators that can race as well at, at different levels and different distances. So that's where the, the sport is uh, attracting a lot of people.
0: Okay, so Milan San Remo kind of length. Um,
2: yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. yeah, more survival as well. I suppose mm. more, a bit more individual. And, yeah, different terrain.
0: Yeah,
2: off road on road.
0: So, uh, but, you, but you're not looking, that. that's not an area that you're looking at, uh, at taking the team, it is mainly, it is still taking, sticking to the traditional uh, road racing?
2: Uh, yeah, it is, it is a, a road team and it would be definitely a, a good thing if some, you know, if we could get the resources and go and do a bit of gravel racing, I'm sure the boys would be very excited about it. So, uh, as I said, that category is quite new and it's, it is coming. Um, but, yeah, definitely something to look, look towards in the future, I think.
0: It is a, so. A, a, an ex, oh, Well, he's still a pro cyclist, but um, Ian Boswell, uh, for example, has given up the road, uh, and he's just he's just doing gravel now. He, uh, just, he had just too many crashes um, on the road, and he just thinks it's safer doing gravel racing. He's less likely to get concussions, etc., than than road racing in a peloton where you, you do get uh, broken collarbones and, uh, and and pretty regular crashes. Um, so, it is, yeah, that's he sees it as a safer. Um, Say so the
1: athlete
2: uh, Yeah, kind of thing. Definitely uh, road cycling is so competitive now and, and those fields are very tight and they are, you know, pretty fierce and they are moving it very, you know, even faster now than they ever have before. The, the speeds are incredibly fast. So the skill factor inside road cycling is, is a real big aspect of the sport now. Uh, I suppose with gravel, it's definitely slower. Obviously, you're on loose metal, which can be seen as dangerous. But, yeah, overall, it wouldn't be as dangerous as a, as a road. It was a big road racing, you know.
0: Some of the discussions in Europe I've seen is around road furniture. What people for people who don't know what I mean by that, things like um, speed bumps, um, traffic islands, etc. How much have you seen those come in over, over your period of, uh, of of cycling, and how much of, a, of an issue is that for for road racing now? Um,
2: I think, yeah, it's definitely the you know that's the the career end of that one if you do potentially hit one, it can be very dangerous. But um, yeah, that's, it's part of the sport and it is, it is something you've got to really keep your eyes out for. And, and hopefully the event itself is, is well managed and well marshaled. And uh, you'll see a lot of those marshals uh, pointing out a lot of that furniture. But every now and then does catch out riders, especially in races in Italy, that have a lot more furniture and, and are a lot more sporadic and a bit more chaotic. Um, they are, you know, you do see that quite a bit where, you know, a rider will hit something on the road or an Island or a, or a bollard or whatever's in the road, which is yeah, obviously not ideal.
0: Yeah. yeah there's this, no, this, the safe thing as well as was well on a gravel road, gravel track, you're not going to have things that just appear in the middle of the road, but as you say, yeah. you, you have got more chance of slipping. slipping yeah. You
2: know, the... I, I suppose the pelotons are very, easy. a lot smaller in gravel and a lot more spread out. Um, you know, when you're in a peloton, you're in with 200 riders, you, you're effectively touching the wheel in front of you, and if that wheel moves left or right last minute and there's something there, then, you know, you don't always get the opportunity to see that bit of furniture or, or island coming at you at high speed, and that's when, when it does go wrong in a big way.
0: So, else, yeah. there's a lot of trust in road cycling then um, with, with, with the other people around you. Does that mean you... You will are there certain wheels you'll look or certain jerseys you will look for and Go okay, I know those guys are a relatively safe rider, so I'll, I'll I'll try and ride near them. Or if you see a certain certain jersey in front of you, have you decided I need to get out of here because I know he's not safe, a safe
2: yeah, person? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's definitely the case. You always see someone who's not quite as safe as another rider. And I think as the ranks go into professional, as the better professional teams are there, then. They have a lot more respect for their competition too and they are pointing out things and and they are looking after each other in that bunch as well if you're the uh, i suppose smaller races where no one really knows everyone that that can be a little bit more chaotic and
0: so some. Um, i've seen riders they'll either flick an elbow or they'll put a hand out or um yeah. various, is is that a universal sign language or or is it something? yeah
2: yeah definitely you definitely want to be pointing stuff out and um you know that's you know but. Sometimes you're in a situation where you, you're in a high-speed moment and, or sprinting and everything's just coming at you so quick that you don't even get a chance to point stuff out. And that, that, that's when, yeah, that's, that's uh, part of the sport, really. But uh, as I say, you yeah, look at the Tour de France, there seems to be a lot more management around those bollards or, or islands and to the point where they even remove them if they are too dangerous. So they will make it as safe as they possibly can.
0: Yeah, but there's a difference between the, and this is one of the differences, that the Tour de France is a multi-million pound event that's the biggest race in the world. They can afford to remove certain road furniture and put it back a couple of weeks later. The the, 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 the races you're talking about, sort of organising here in New Zealand, you, that, that budget's not there, is it? So you, you just have to, you're relying on um, volunteer marshals. um sure. Maybe a farmer donating some bales of hay to <laughs> put in the way of certain pieces, uh, yeah. especially if you've got if you've got descent, for example, um, yeah, and that kind of thing. So it's it's uh, yeah, it's, it's different at different levels, um, I guess. Um, cool. Um, anything I've kind of or any riders that we should be looking out for from um, from Blackspoke? Who, who who are the who uh, if if you do get to race here in New Zealand? Who who, who should we be looking out for and what different types of riders have you got in the, in the, uh, the squad?
2: Um, we've got, you've got a bit of a mixed bag, really. We've got, um, the likes of, uh, one of our older guys, Aaron Gate, obviously most Kiwis know him. he's, he's a track rider. He's, he's very good on the road as well. So he, he's got a lot of experience. He's probably one rider that, you know, he should have been through teams folding or, or injury or, or mechanicals. He's, he's, um, you know, he's still got a lot to offer that guy. And, uh, I think he's definitely a rider to watch out for. No one wants to take that, take Aaron to the finish of the race because he's very dangerous, and the chances of him still being there is very high. Um, and James Arm's also been around a long time, as, as well as Hayden McCormick, so there's some really good strength in the team. Um, as far as our young guys go, that's probably a little little early still to tell. Um, we've taken a punt on probably you know four young guys who haven't, have shown something within local, New Zealand, national level, but um, you know all we can do is you know hope that they can progress from where they are now, and we we'll see a lot of potential in those guys.
0: And so, do, do you have a sprint, a designated sprinter, or do you, or is that you're not not got that kind of uh, that organisation level that we've seen in pro, that um, top teams?
2: Yeah, well, you haven't got um, so-called
0: pure sprinter.
2: Um, Aaron's probably our fastest man in the team, and he's still very, very quick. Um, you know, to, to take out a number of wins is, is always hard in bunch kicks but we will be looking for a faster sprinter for next season as well um, we do have a very well-rounded team and it's probably the one one man we're missing is that pure sprinter who, who doesn't really get over the hills as well as the likes of Aaron but um, uh, yeah we, we're definitely um, looking for that in the future
0: and do you have an out is, is, is there an out and out climber or is that not something that's uh, again you're, you're, it's more rolling races rather than Rather than steep climb races here in New Zealand, so we don't produce those so much.
2: Yeah, no, we're, yeah, we sort of, James Oram is is close, probably one of our closest guys to the older climbers. Um, uh, young fella Ari Scott from Nelson, he's he's won a couple. He's won a big race in Spain last season. This while we took him on the team it was a hilltop finish and he rode away from some really good Spanish climbers you know so and he's shown some great potential he rode really well in the center he was mixing it with the, some top riders on on uh, the hilltop finishes and you know he's sort of getting up there which is good to see at the age of 18 you know he's got a big future
0: cool actually the other thing I haven't uh, asked you about is this will be your first season as a as a race director uh, in the car. Um, how have you adapted to that uh, sort of giving to, giving, or, or sort of trying to manage the team from a car whilst, um, whilst I did
2: I, get a little bit of experience um, we, I did with the team of wish my luck back in the past I ended up managing the last my, I retired and then I gave him a hand with directing a few races like Langkawi and things so uh, yeah. I had a little bit of experience back then um, and then since then I've entered teams and mm-hmm. local races and managed to look after them but yeah it's back behind the steering wheel is definitely a yeah it's a, a bit of a wake up and um yeah i've got some great staff behind me i've got mechanics that have been in the peloton for the last sort of 10 years who generally yells at me from the back seat if i'm doing something wrong or, or missing one of the race rules or something so it's always good to have that sort of support behind me but it, it's come back to me pretty quick and um yeah, I suppose the main thing is just being able to read races and and try and give the riders as much insight and much knowledge as possible without getting it wrong uh, through the earpieces into the into the Balaton, which is not always an easy job.
0: So to give give people an idea that, that some, so you're yeah you you're, you're having to drive a car, you're obviously behind the race so you can't really actually see what's going on. Um, so do they have like race radio like they do in like sort of France in, in the local races? Describing what's yeah, going on. yeah.
2: The local, some of the local races we do. Um, it depends on the category if you're allowed to use earpieces to the riders. So the bigger races we are allowed to, and um, we get we get reports from the race um, commissaire who then comes into the car through a separate radio. Then we use another radio to talk to the riders, uh, and that's yeah the mechanics job. Is also to change a wheel or, or fix a bike, but he's also in the back of, back of the car, writing down numbers and, and getting collecting all that information for you, and passes it back to you when you need it as well. So, yeah.
0: So, but, uh, so yeah, so so yeah, obviously, right. Why right, we will be we'll be identified by number over the radio rather than by name, probably. Um, correct. So you're having to remember correct. what num- who got given what number that day, or who who you allocated what yeah. number within your own team. Never yeah. mind, uh, yeah. Who's in the other teams? You're trying to drive a car and avoid all the other cars in the. In the train behind as well and make up decisions as to what as to guys come on we talked to we, we pre-race we said this is when we're going to attack are you all in position are you ready um do you also have someone with the road book going okay guys we're coming up to a roundabout now or those sort yeah,
2: of... we, yeah we, can... we, we feed them as much info as we possibly can um as i say it's not always as easy um you can imagine the, the riders are at one spot on the road there's a break at, at three minutes in front of that and then your car is probably still forty seconds behind the bunch itself, so you're always allowing time for everything to give the correct information. And, and sometimes that information that's coming through is also delayed. So it's very easy to actually give the riders incorrect information as well as uh, correct information. So you got to be a little bit careful on what you say sometimes.
0: Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there's quite a lot going on in the car, and trying to it's, it's it's a bit like trying to fly an aeroplane remotely in some ways. Um, <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's a it's a lot of fun at the same time, and yeah, it has a lot of downtime, but it has obviously some, some very intense moments, and uh, you know, crashes or punches or yeah, uh, yeah, is it always. It all seems to happen at once, that's for sure.
0: So when you say downtime, um, is it, you talk about the early stages of the race when the well basically there's, there's not much. Going on, it's about sort of conserving energy. Is that what you're talking about? The downtime? Or are you talking about downtime between races?
2: Oh, um, more, yeah. During, so the stages could be two hundred kilometres, and it could be a break of at, at three minutes with a team on the front and five riders up the road just lapping out. So those moments, yeah, you can be sitting there with not a lot to do for you know a two three hour period. So it's just, there's definitely some downtime within the job, but um, yeah, it's just uh, and then clearly with the riders themselves, you know, they they. Going into downtime, they, they train really hard, but to recover, they need a lot of downtime as well. And, and same with racing. After the race, they need to be resting really, really, really hard to get ready for the following day.
0: So when you do the when you go take the team to to Europe, well, I guess you haven't done yet, but when, when you do, you'll be basically in each other's back pockets or, or together for, what, three, four months, um, where you kind of see each other pretty much most days. Uh, any kind of uh, sort of plans on... So, or card games, or other kind of competitions, you'll be run, running to keep people entertained and to and, and and so just during those times when they're having to just sit and rest and recuperate.
2: Yeah, I think they'll they'll pretty much do whatever they can to entertain themselves as bike riders. They obviously with the internet these days and uh, yeah, just having colleagues and being in foreign countries. They, they've got yeah, it's definitely a nice nice part of their job as as the downtime. Um, yeah, they get to, to see a lot as well and get to I suppose kick back a lot more than the average person when they are resting that's
0: for sure. Yeah. I guess actually something else that just occurred to me Obviously, we taken them over to, to Europe so uh, have you encouraged any of them to, to learn a foreign language and, as to and what is the kind of language of the Peloton um, or do you have your own team languages and it's just it's just lots of different languages going on and there isn't a set, <laughs> isn't set, a set peloton language
2: yeah like a team like ours is quite easy Kiwi team. Obviously, yep. English, then and, and the international cycling language is, is English. But okay. yeah, once you're in Europe, the res- respectful thing to do is, is use as much um, of the local language as possible. And, uh, you know, a, a few of the riders have got, they are capable of speaking more than one language. Um, and I think if you join a, a different team in a different part of the world, then yeah, yeah, you should make as much, much of an effort to um, learn that language as possible. Um,
0: So did you you, you, this downtime
2: uh, might help with that as well. They could actually pick up and study a little bit more as well on on languages if they were good.
0: Did you learn Flemish or French? I ended
2: up learning a little bit of Flemish, but um, yeah. In Belgium the language because it's a country that's right in the middle of Germany, Luxembourg, Holland, um, France and Germany, they they have adopted English as their their um, as a language that is universal and, and most people there speak it so it's probably one of the harder countries to pick up the local local lingo
0: cool well thank you very much for your time um, I'm for, uh, so everyone check out some black spoke pro cycling Academy uh, and look out for what races they might be doing um, this uh, this season what's the best place for them to be able to find out when and where you'll be racing uh, either the website um, or,
2: yeah, just on Instagram as well, blackspoke. Uh Pro cycling on, on Instagram is probably the easiest way to follow the team.
0: So there you go, folks. Um, thank you very much for your time. And, uh, folks, uh, don't forget to subscribe to the Like, the Facebook page. Or if you prefer to listen on the go, then subscribe to our podcast, New Zealand Sports Radio, where on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, all those wonderful places. Um, Scott, thank you very much for your time. Thank you.